Hello and welcome to the Albion Obsessed podcast. Do not adjust your technology. It is not the year 2020, although it certainly felt like that yesterday. But before we get back into the perhaps the most egregious smash and grab in the history of this year, let's see who we've got on the show. Joe, welcome back. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, um, on the road for, to recovery. Um, I've been very, very ill the last sort of two weeks, um, but we're we're back. And I was at the football yesterday and it couldn't have gone any worse. So this year, really good so far. Loving it. Mm, I feel you, brother. I feel you. We also welcome back Curtis. Curtis, mate, how are you keeping? I'm groovy like a driving movie, my friend. Yeah, I'm pretty happy to be here. Happy to be talking to you guys. Not so happy with yesterday's performance, but we will talk about that momentarily. We certainly will. I mean, how are you, Tom? Um, I am. Yeah, still, Tom. I am still getting over COVID. It's still uh, having a lovely time with my lungs. I just as I think I've turned the corner, it's like pow! You can't breathe again, bitch. Uh, apologies. Shout out to Tom's lungs. <laughs> breathing who needs to breathe <laughs> um but yeah i'm uh I, th- I think i'm getting better anyway less about my health issues and more about brighton and hove albion's issues in front of goal am i right but no uh let's uh before we before we get into that there's quite a few things i want to talk about uh the first of which is a man that really gets us ticking has been uh, absent recently and that is adam lalana now it came out um, in deserby's pre-match press conference before the fulham game um that he has got a bad injury and he will be sidelined for months um joe some really disappointing news there for adam lalana who has had a really positive season scoring goals um being really influential influential sorry on and off the pitch um some but yeah some really disappointing news coming out yeah I mean we all know how good of a player he is has been for for so many years in a Southampton Liverpool and a Brighton shirt in an England shirt as well um and we all know it's the injuries that have held him back from being you know probably one of the best midfielders um, of his generation um maybe that is a, a bit of a stretch but who knows how far that could have gone you know how well he was doing at Liverpool and stuff like that and you know how how classy is on the pitch for us when he plays and it, it really is gutting uh, because of how good he's been this season um it's clear to see that he leads from the front he's that voice uh that everybody needs on the football pitch especially those young lads Imagine coming in as a 17-year-old uh, Facundo Buonanotte and playing alongside a Premier League and a Champions League winner. Um, I know maybe he didn't play the, play the part in uh, the squad that much when he won those tournaments, but he's still in and about and got that experience. And it's got to be so influential um, for these young players that come into our football club to see a player like him uh, and Danny Welbeck, um, to be honest. Um so it's really, really such a shame. But I hope that if this is to be the injury that makes him think maybe I should pack it in, that he he stays with us um, and, and you know, gets his coaching badges and stays in around the dressing room because I've stressed so many times on this podcast before how important that voice is and how important the experience is. So, um, yeah, gutting news, Tom. Very much so. Curtis, how much do you think we miss Adam Lallana's influence on the pitch? 
yeah, I think it's good to have that uh, that commanding voice in that in that part on that part of the pitch. You always see that he's shouting something to someone, and he's got so much experience. I feel that benefits everyone around him. So you to not have that on the pitch will be will be difficult. But I imagine he's the type of guy that will be floating around training sessions still, uh, you know, helping out and what have you. So he's not going to be gone. He will still be around, um, but you know, he's just one less player that we have in you know, that, that position. So, so that's going to be a bit tricky too. Most definitely. Most definitely. Um, some more news that came out before uh, the game um, is that Alexis McAllister's father, who is also his agent was flying over to the UK to apparently discuss his son's future. Um, Joe, a lot of noise already about the possibility of our world cup winner leaving in the summer. Um, Regardless of what happens, Joe, I think we've got to bear in mind that Tony Bloom will not allow the, any departures for any less than his valuation of the money um, that he deems ne- um, necessary to get um, to get a player to, to leave the club. Um, what have you made of it all? Do you think it is just noise or do you think it's about time that we sort of accept that because of where we are in the table, because of the pushes we are making in the right direction, that our best players will be uh, the subject of interest? Um, yeah, it's always going to be the case. Players do well um, at a club like Brighton, and you're going to get interest from the big six. Again, all your listeners, that's in, um, what do you call it? What are they called, Tom? Quotation marks. Quotation marks. Thank you. Um, and I think it's inevitable that Alexis McAllister will leave. I think we're kidding ourselves if we say say not. I think it really depends on what happens at the end of this season and where we find ourselves and what competitions we find ourselves in next season. If we get Europe, I, I say he stays. Um, and I even think Moises Caicedo might stay if we get into Europe. I know that might be a, a bold call, but um, why not? Um, but yeah, I think it's just one of those things where ever since we've been in the Premier League, there's ever since we've been doing well, there's always rumours and, and links that players are going to go here, go there, go everywhere. Um, but I always have full faith that Tony Bloom is going to get the right, um, the right decision uh, for, for the football club. And if it's not time for a player to move on, he won't. He, he won't let them move on unless it's a Leandro Trossard situation where the contract is expiring, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But that's where Tony Bloom is is so so good um, at getting those deals for the football club, and and that's why we're doing so well. Um, so I, I think it's just a matter of time, Tom, to be honest. Now, Curtis, he did sign, Alex McAllister, this is, he did sign a new contract just before the World Cup um, that extends his stay at Brighton. Um, do you think European football next season would be enough to tempt Alexis and even Moises Caicedo to stay at the Brighton and Hove Albion? Um, maybe, um, hold on one second, just cat um alexis potentially over caicedo i think i i I sort of already think caicedo's foot's out the door um personally um but the statements that have already come out from like uh alexis's father and stuff saying that you know how much he loves the club how much he loves the individuals and stuff i think that's really good to hear you know but uh, um it in one way i'm very glad it's happening now because hypothetically if a deal was put into place sort of principally and then we have time to look for someone and address that situation it's good as opposed to i don't know a week before the end of the window 
Um, so that you know, this this is good. It's happening now. I mean, I don't want him to leave, um, but like I echo a lot of what Joe was saying. I, I feel like you know, if we get to that European position, he could potentially stay, and I, I would welcome that with um, open arms. So. I think what you said about it happening now, Curtis, just goes to prove again how much, and, and people might view this completely different way, but how much respect Alexis McAllister has got for the football club. Um, yeah. And saying that, look, I, I want... Record, yeah, mm. exactly. Like he, he, he'll he be saying to us, these are my ambitions, but I'm I'm contracted at, at this club and I'll play for this club until the, the day that I don't. But, um, you know, I, I I want bigger ambitions. That that's that for me is is completely fair enough, um, and then gives the club time to to get the replacements in. Well, he's not going to go anywhere until Tony Bloom has uh, got what he wants out of the out of the situation. Well, exactly. I mean, he's going to want a, a tidy amount of you know cash, Ola, clams, shekels. You know what I mean? Um, how much do we realistically think he's worth though? Like to the club? I'm going to use inverted commas here. Uh, a Chelsea journalist, that's the word that's in inverted commas, thinks that he's worth about 35 million. Now, Joe Moises Caicedo, uh, rumour has it that Brighton battered away bids of around 65, 70 million, albeit in January towards the end of the window. So that's, your, that's an important context. But if we're batting away those sort of figures for Moises Caicedo, Alexis McAllister at 35 million is laughable. Yeah, and there's still age on McAllister's side you know it's not like he's 28 29 pushing on towards what should be his prime you know he, he's only going to get so much better um, and we saw how much of an unbelievable player he could be on on the world stage the biggest stage in football um, and he, he's just won a world cup alongside Lionel Messi of all people um, and it's, it's mind-blowing and anyone thinks that 35 million pounds is going to get you Alexis McAllister's signature, you need a, a good, long, hard look at yourself because we are not letting Alexis McAllister leave for anything less than 80. And I think even 80 is low. Yeah, it's um, it's one of those things we've said before. Unless Tony Bloom gets uh, what he believes to be a fair uh, cash, um, what's the word I'm looking for, compensation for, for McAllister uh, leaving, um, nothing's going to happen, especially as we're, as Curtis has already alluded to, most likely going to lose Moises Caicedo at the end of the season. I can't see uh, Bloom sanctioning losing our two main midfielders um, without some serious cash injection. But we are digressing. We are procrastinating because I don't think we really want to talk about the game that happened yesterday. Um, and who can blame us? It was one of those things where it felt like we were back in 2020 because Brighton were... It was the most one-sided nil-nil I'd seen since Boogate, um, the, the infamous Leeds game where billions of Brighton fans booed um, Brighton at the final whistle. Um, of course, you know, it was a, it was the main reason that uh, G Potts left uh, because we needed a history lesson. Um, but anyway, less about that. But it's it had echoes of that sort of game until the last minute. But we'll get to that in a second. Let's talk really briefly then, Joe, about the starting eleven, uh, which saw Evan Ferguson come in for Dennis Undav um, in what I believe was 
probably at the moment our strongest starting eleven with Sanchez in goal, a back four of Joel Veltman, Lewis Dunk, Adam Webster, Purvis Estupinian, and then the holding midfielders of Caicedo and Alexis McAllister with Gross just ahead of them, and then Matoma, March out wide with Ferguson up top. For me, Joe, that's probably our strongest eleven. What what do you think? Yeah, I was extremely happy when I saw the starting eleven. Um, you know, at the moment, you'd probably say uh, you, you you bring in Adam Lalana if he was fit. Um, you you would love to see him in there. Um, and I think we've, as I alluded to at the start, when you were talking about his injury, we we really miss him. Um, but that is still a really solid starting eleven. Um, and I'll always be happy to see see that. To be honest, I know a lot of people will, will be like, "Oh, you can't put that starting eleven together." again because we drew we didn't beat Fulham but you know we we absolutely bad Fulham that let's let's not um beat around the bush there because it was as you say Tom the most one-sided nil-nil you'll ever see until obviously they gone and bloody nicked it which is the biggest robbery in a football match in a long time um so well since last week actually the biggest robbery in football since last week um but yeah no no complaints i thought evan ferguson was was energetic and and really good amazing to see that his injury wasn't as bad um i i was really fearing the worst for him when i, when I saw him go off against liverpool um and yeah i don't i don't think you could get any stronger as you said yeah, at the moment with injuries um, and what have you, the, the way the squad is just looking, it is our, probably our best starting eleven. Um, and let's not let's not kid ourselves here. It wasn't some you know, Brighton were creating chances, Curtis hatfuls of chances. I mean, I've I've re- I was making notes as I was watching the game because I do, and I had at least fifteen chances. Now that I'm not saying they're all on target, a lot of them perhaps half chances, narrowly wide. You know, just I'm looking over him in the first 10 minutes. I mean, Evan Ferguson blazed one um, over the bar. March shot just wide. Um, Purvis broke into the box um, and he went out for a corner. There was just chance upon chance upon chance upon chance. But Brighton just could not take them. Um, and I know I keep joking about it, but it, it genuinely felt like we were watching Brighton from a couple of seasons ago. Really, really frustrating day in front of goal. Yeah, I mean, the stats go something like 21 total shots and seven of them on target, which is madness Comparison in comparison to their five shots and two. Um, and yeah, when I when it finished, I, I was just like, wow, that is the most Brighton thing I have could have got out of this game. You know, it was... It's only... Oh, it's, it's, it's really, really, really frustrating, but it always boils down to the fact of like... Um, Everyone always says, "Oh, we need a we need a better striking option and stuff like that." But you know, the strikers that we have have to put away the chances that they have, and you know, I don't know. Solly had a few chances and and and, and whatnot, but it just wasn't to be. And I just it's just one of those games. I mean, we we've been riding a very good wave as of late, and we can't win them all. And I feel like performances like this is what makes teams better. I feel like you know sometimes it takes situations like this to make you realize where you are weaker, and then you can improve on that so hopefully this you know helps spur the lads on because um you know we've got i think stoke next and then we've got west west ham i think after that uh and you know i'm not gonna go ahead and say we're gonna beat west ham because we do have a good record against them but you know this is a good chance for us to 
pick up points there. Uh, so hopefully we can, you know, pick our heads up off, off the ground a bit and just get going and get some more points on the table. So, I mean, Joe, I asked this to Toby in the last podcast because um, from my perspective, the last three games have followed a very similar pattern. We've come across, come against three teams that are very happy to sit back um, and just make us work for it. Bournemouth, where we did score a last minute um, you know, winner. Palace, where we came away with a single point. And then obviously yesterday, where we came away with nil point. Um, do you think perhaps that after you know having that period of just scoring goals galore, um, we're sort of returning back to a bit of normality? Um, because yesterday, as I say, it looked like Brighton were almost back to that way of trying to score the perfect goal, too many touches, um, which has been very different from the games where we saw us scoring three, four, five goals at a time sometimes. Um, what do you make of it? Is it just a blip? Yeah, I think it's a case of teams seeing how many goals we're scoring. <clears throat> I mean, you know, <clears throat> it's so easy to focus on us and <clears throat> apologies. <clears throat> So easy to focus on us and the mistakes that we're making and uh, the chances we're missing, this, that and the other and how we're playing and whether it's it's changing. But you have to look at there. there is another Premier League football team involved there. There is another Premier League football team who have tactical meetings, who are a really good team. And they're going to look at us, see how many goals we're scoring and want to thwart that. Um, and, and teams have done that perfectly well over the last couple of games. Um, so it, it's, it comes as no surprise um, that, that teams might be slightly working us out, but I've got full faith that De Zerbi will change the way we play ever so slightly. Fans won't notice, but other teams will. Such fine margins in the Premier League and the tactical battle that goes on on the sideline, I don't think people quite realise how much it plays in the game. Um, that you can look at football from such a... It depends how you want to watch football, really. Um, you can look at it from the surface or you can really delve deep into it. Um, and when you delve deep into it, you see tactical battles all over the pitch. And it just depends who's winning those individual battles. Um, and, you know, it, it's a blip. We'll, we'll get back to, to winning ways. I've, I've no doubt. We're, we're creating the chances. We just have to be more clinical. And when things get frustrating, maybe play a snatch at chances a little bit more. Maybe the belief has gone down. We've spoken about confidence on this podcast so many times. That confidence has to come back up. We've got Stoke next. I'm taking nothing away from Stoke at all. We know what happened against Charlton. We saw what happened against Middlesbrough and how that mentality can shift. We scored five goals there. Hopefully, we can go into that game with a really strong mentality get scoring goals again and bring that back into the league. Um, I think it's just a belief thing uh, from, from our team's perspective. But as I say, you have to look at another Premier League team that are playing against us and battling with us tactically all over the pitch. I think you could, we'll talk, I mean, we'll talk about Fulham's tactics later, but you, you do raise a good point, Joe. Of course, the whole point of Fulham is to stop us from scoring. Um, but I think the thing that frustrated me the most was that I don't think Leno really had to pull off any saves that I were. I was like, wow, a lot of them were straight at him, good height. And we it was very similar against Palace, you know, always putting the shots pretty much straight at him. Um, but as you say, that's something that the boys can work on um, on the training pitch. But 
you know, we ha- we have to just sort of like we have to just move. You know, there's nothing we can really do because obviously not scoring is the reason we didn't win, which I know sounds really daft, but it is true. And we'll come on Who to invited that. Michael Owen on this podcast? I know, right? <laughs> if you don't score, you don't win. But I mean, one thing that a lot of fans have criticised Curtis is our set pieces. Um, I lost count of how many corners we had yesterday that didn't beat the first man. And it's not, it's not something that's an isolated incident. It's happening pretty much week in, week out. Um, and then when we did have a corner that did beat the first man, uh, Lewis Dunk had a free header and it went off target. So the set pieces are becoming a bit of a target for, for fans on social media. What have you made of Brighton's set pieces this season? I think it's uh, fair criticisms, to, to, to be honest. I mean, we used to be fairly good at our set pieces. I remember we would uh, usually get a fair amount of headers and things from from corners and stuff. And yeah, and, and now every time there's a corner, I, I I don't expect anything to ever come of it. You know, or or you know, it's it's frustrating. Um, I, I, I'd imagine it's kind of difficult though because I I, I can imagine they're training very hard in these scenarios, but sometimes it doesn't, doesn't quite transition to the actual game. So clearly something is getting lost in translation somewhere in the middle there. Um, I'm sure they'll, they'll, they'll go back to the drawing board and they'll address it, but like, yeah, it's very frustrating. And I, but I do believe the criticism is valid. Yeah. I mean, I think as I say yesterday, Dunk had a free header um, that was off target. Webster had a free header against Palace that I believe was it was either off target or blocked or saved or or whatever. Um, so just you know we've we've spoken about you know goals need to come from elsewhere on the pitch and I think and Dunk has only scored one goal this season and that was the dodgiest deflection off uh, you know a Lamptey shot that you'll ever like. What do you to mean see. he knew about it? He was deliberate. He knew what he was doing. But no, I mean it, I think you know we need to get Webster and Dunkey on the score sheet. We need those goals to help out because as Joe says, you know it's. I think, you know, a lot of pressure we put on Ferguson, March and Matoma, um, but goals need to come from elsewhere on the pitch. Um, and I think when we do eventually put in a good corner like that with Dunk, free header, you'd bet you had mortgage on him to, you know, get that on target nine times out of 10. But it was just another one of those, it's not going to be our day in front of goal. Um, and it was just really frustrating because, as I say, it just felt like it was Brighton from a couple of seasons ago. We had so many good chances and it, it was just way too easy for for Fulham. And I think if we had have scored, um, then the next topic we wouldn't really have to talk about, um, which is Fulham, Fulham's? <laughs> Fulham's incredibly cynical tactics. Joe, some absolutely disgraceful time-wasting from about 14 minutes in. Uh, feigning injury, feigning head injuries. Um, and we will talk about him on his own. The ref completely allowing this to happen. No sort of repercussions, no yellow cards dish out. Um, it, it was just a, a disgraceful display of sportsmanship, in my opinion. What did you make of uh, Fulham's tactical choices? Yeah, I mean, I'm always very sort of, I sort of hold back when I see an injury when I'm in in the ground because you don't really know how serious it's going to be. And I think there was a moment where their left back went down um, after a challenge from, I think it was Solly March. um, And he looked in a considerable amount of pain. And I was like, everyone else around me was like, oh, get up, get up, get up. And I was thinking, I'm just going to hold back here because he might actually be really hurt. Um, 
two minutes later, he's up on his feet. He's running around like nothing's happened. Um, literally nothing. And the players know now with the, the change of rules that if they go down and they hold their head or they hold their face, the game's going to stop for at least a and, minute or so. And rightfully so. I was going to point this out. Obviously, yeah, we saw what happened with Chelsea. So. You know, with Asclepet, you know, we, we saw that yesterday with Chelsea. But um, it's it's damn right disrespectful to the players that actually do get head injuries because it's going to change the perception from the fans in the stands. People are going to... That's why I stop and, and wait until I see what's happened afterwards. And then when I see they're fine and they were, were time-wasting, that's when I get annoyed. Um, but players know that if they want to stop a game, all they have to do is go like that and fall, fall to the ground. And the, and the referee will, will stop the game. Um and it stops the flow of the game completely. Um, and that's what they want to do. They want to break our rhythm. And whether that is a tactic, whether that is definitely something they talk about behind the scenes, I have no idea. I don't know how you go about stamping out the game, to be honest, because if, if teams want to do it, they're just going to do it. And the, the referee, um, as you mentioned, Tom, we will talk about him, but he just needs to get completely get a grip of the game and, and t- tell them, look, if, if one this time's being added on, and it needs to be fairly added on, by the way, what was it at the end? Six minutes. I'm sorry, but Fulham probably wasted about ten. Um, it needs to be be like it was in the World Cup, where they literally had a a counter, and and they were adding on like every single stoppage into one. Yeah, that's all they could do. All they could do what they do in rugby. Every time that play stops, you pause the clock. Yep. Another leaf that football could take out of rugby's book. Imagine my shock. Yeah, it's um, it was really frustrating to see Fulham's tactics because they could, clearly couldn't compete with us on on the park. You know, we they were probably one of the worst teams we've seen this season in terms of just they created nothing. They did very little, um, but they did what I think Villa did. They did what Forest did. They just wasted time from the first half. Within quarter of an hour, they were already slowing the game down, wasting time. You know what? I was really looking forward to a, such a, a good game of football because of how Fulham, how well Fulham have been doing this season. I've watched a lot of Fulham this season. They've been playing some really good, nice football. Um, and I was looking forward to seeing a, a really good, high-quality game of football. And then they come and do that. Uh, it's just taken taking that soul out of football where the two teams go up against each other and, and just battle it out to, to be the best team. But no, they're just going to chuck themselves on the ground because they can't be bothered to play the game. It, it's frustrating because I was saying beforehand, I said, I think this is going to be a tougher task than Palace. You know, like, you know, where considering where Fulham are in the table and everything, I thought this is going to be a real battle and I'm really excited for this. And then to hear that that's just what they were doing the entire game, I was like... Okay, but also it was frustrating because I was like, "How don't we have anything from this yet?" Yeah, you almost expect it from, and I hate, I'm loath to use the phrase, teams like Forest or Bournemouth, who are really struggling. I say struggling; they're really battling to stay in the Premier League. But a team, a team in Fulham's position, they shouldn't have to resort to that sort of play acting. And for someone who hasn't watched Fulham at all, because I don't watch a lot of football that isn't bright, and it's just you know, how I've always been. I was, I watched it and I thought, how on earth are this team behind us in the table, just behind us? How on earth are this team in the top eight? Because they were just awful. 
You know, they just, a lot of people are calling it anti-football. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it does feel like there's a, there was only one team who wanted to play yesterday. Only one team that wanted to win. And it wasn't the team that, ironically, uh, didn't get the win. And part of that was because, you know, the way that the game was being played by the opposition. Fulham weren't interested in in playing football. They were interested in rolling around on the floor, um, which was really frustrating. And the next part of the, the equation that's equally as frustrating, Joe, is is the ref who, as you've alluded to, allowed it to happen. It seems that every week we are talking about an incompetent official. We've just had, is it Howard Webb, has came to the training ground, have a meeting with the Zerbi, which we'll talk about a bit later. He's just come to the training ground to have a meeting with our head coach about last week's incompetent officials, and we're seeing more of it again this week. Joe, Joe... I just, I, I just, I lose my patience with the level of officials in the Premier League. It is abysmal. Yeah, and it's not even just, you, you know, a lot of people could be saying, "Oh, it's because you're not winning the games and you're you're looking deeply into it." Blah blah blah. But it's not even just our games. It's across the whole of the Premier League. There's even been some more controversial decisions today in the Man United um, and uh, whoever they're playing Leicester game. Uh, where Man United should have had a red card. Imagine my shock, Manchester United player doesn't get sent off. But then a goal that rules there gets gets uh, scored for Manchester United. Marcus Rashford's foot looks literally offside, but the green line that VAR have drawn is over his foot. So you can't see it. You can't come to a conclusive decision that is definitely offside. Um, and it's these inconsistencies that are making us so unbelievably frustrated i'm not blaming the referee for us losing the game i'm not sitting here saying that we're getting ganged up on by any stretch i'm saying that across the board as you were saying tom how frustrated you were just then it is simply not good enough we've just seen also lee mason get sacked for it, which is is brilliant, by the way, because he, he's probably one of the worst of the lot. Um, do you remember? I, I'm sure you do. The free kick, yes, against West Brom, yeah. um, blew the whistle. Dunk kicked it, went in, and then yeah, that that was just a fiasco. I think that was the last game he refereed because he it was so incompetent. I mean, you're right, Joe. We can't. A lot of people on Twitter, especially, have been blaming the referee. The truth of the matter is the referee didn't stop us from scoring. You know, that responsibility lies with us. You know, we needed to score because if we had scored, Fulham wouldn't have been able to use those tactics or they would have been foolish if they had because they would have been losing. So they wouldn't have done that. It wouldn't have mattered if we had scored one or two in the first half, which we arguably should have done because, you know, the ref's going to... We can't control the way the ref officiates the game. We can't control the way Fulham choose to play the game. So, you know, it's the age-old adage, you can only control the controllables. Um, And we didn't do that well enough yesterday. So the ref was incompetent. My favourite part, Joe, was when in the second half, the beginning of the second half, um, Estupinian was fouled by Tete and Darren England gave them a free kick. You you want to talk about, like, incompetence? I I was halfway through applauding him for getting a decision right and then I see him point the other way. And I, I was just head in hands, like, you, 
you you become almost numb to it, to be honest. You go to a Premier League game, you, you expect these officials to be that bad. You expect to be shouting at the linesman because they've got a decision wrong. Um, you expect to, like, I, I always find it funny, like, whenever a linesman gets a decision wrong, because of where I sit, Tom, I'm quite close to them. I, I normally take off my glasses and, and offer it to them because they clearly need it. Um, and, and the VAR as well, um, I... I hate to bring him into this conversation, but Graham Potter said that it's human beings that are making these decisions and with human beings, you're never going to get consistency, which I somewhat agree with. Um, but there, there is a line, there is a but. Um, you've got the technology right there in front of you, state-of-the-art technology that has been, you know, we saw you so well at the, at the World Cup. That, in, that technology can be improved even more. We can we we should be again. I'm saying this again, Tom. We should be able to hear the referees. What are they saying? Are they literally just going, oh, yeah, yeah, Lee? Um, we should probably make a decision in a minute. Uh, but I'm just going to keep these fans waiting a little bit longer just to piss them off. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Offside. Yeah, that's offside. Yeah. Tell them in about five seconds just to piss them off even more. Um. Again, we're, we're sat in the stands. We don't know what the bloody hell's going on. Yeah, it's just, it's incredibly frustrating. I mean, I will say one thing. Uh, you know, Darren England, he did get the penalty shout for Veltman. He did get that right. You know, Veltman um, initiated the contact. And, you know, upon seeing replays, and even Veltman himself said after the game it was the right call. So he did get that big decision right. But throughout the game, there were so many niggly little decisions that he got wrong. And Curtis, we've already alluded to it already. Fulham spent most of the game time-wasting. But the referee didn't admon- he didn't give any cards out for that time-wasting. Um, the minutes that were added on at the end seemed way too few. You should have added more. It could have been at least 10 minutes, possibly even more. Because the only way you're going to stop time-wasting is by either booking players, and I mean like consistently booking players, none of this sort of, oh, if you do it four or five times, then I'll book you. It needs to be, do that again, I'm going to book you. Or going up to the captain of Fulham or whichever team it is and saying, the next player on your team that time wastes, I'm going to book them. Because that's what they're doing rugby. You literally hear referees in rugby says, if your player does want something like that again, I'm booking them. It doesn't matter if they haven't done it yet. If that's the first time they've done it, they're getting booked. And that's what it needs to be like. They need to stamp it out. It's the introduce whole... the sin bin. I tell introduce you. the sin bin. Introduce yeah. it. Ten minutes for a red, uh, a yellow card. That will stop players doing like probably like seventy percent of the things that they do. Um, exactly. So, we were yeah. supposed to be seeing the end of diving because we we were told that simulation would now get your yellow card. That's not consistently enforced. So. They, they need, there are so many different ways that referees could do this or officials could do this. As we say, they could stop the clock like they do in rugby, sin bins, consistency in in cards. Um, but it didn't help us yesterday, Curtis. I know I'm wittering on, but it's just I'm no, so crap. Fine. I mean, like, um, to, to be honest with you, I'm sort of sick to death of talking about it at, the, at this point, you know, like, and you, you hear about all these people that are cancelling their season tickets because they've fallen out of love with the game because all this other stuff. And, you know, at some, at certain points, you, you gotta, you've got to be like, yeah, I sort of get it. I understand, you know, why. Because you, know, you go to a game and, you know, you're watching a performance like that and, and 
it's bad enough when we can see it happen and we were like, why isn't it anything we're doing? And they're, and they're not doing anything about it. Like it's, it just takes so much out of you and out of the game. It's just so, so incredibly frustrating. But, but like I said, I'm just done with sort of talking about it because it it just feels like we can talk about it as much as we want, but nothing seems to change. You know, like they'll, they'll put out apologies They'll fire people, but more people will come in to take over for their position, and it'll be just as bad. So it's just this continue. It, it's it's like having a one kid at the top of a Ferris wheel who's constantly spitting down on the person at the bottom. That's what it is. It's just constantly doing that. It's just this constant rotating wheel of horrible. I love that phrase, a rotating wheel of horrible. And I don't want to prolong the point too much. But um, I think I think well, Danny Murphy is obsessed. Oh, no. I think it was Danny Murphy on last week's match of the day. They said that they want to be talking about players. They want to be talking about coaches and tactics and all the wonderful things that football can be. And it just seems that every week we're talking about referees and officials. And of course, we look through our lovely blue and white striped specs, and we understand that there is some degree of bias here. But I think. Even the most ardent of Fulham Fulham fans could acknowledge that perhaps not only did they get away with one in terms of the result yesterday, they got away with one in terms of how poor the referee was. Um, and it wasn't just us that thought this. It was also our beloved coach, Roberto De Zerbi, who uh, got a red card in the tunnel post-game uh, for confronting the referee, Joe. Um, it's fantastic to see that passion. Um, from Roberto De Zerbi reminds me a lot of a certain Gus Poyer in that regard. Um, but it shows you that this frustration that we're feeling is also felt amongst the coaching staff of the teams as well. And it validates that frustration even more as well. Like you can go home from a football game being a bit annoyed with the referees, talking to your friends and then your friends saying, oh, but it wasn't that bad, but we should have scored the goals and blah, 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 blah. Um but when you've got your manager fuming and getting himself sent off in the tunnel, um, as I say, it, it validates it even more. And if De Zerbi is unhappy with it, then I'm most certainly unhappy with it. Um, and, you know, again, you're probably going to take Howard Webb coming to the training ground and, and wasting De Zerbi's time again. Um with, with a meeting to explain why the why the officials are so poor. I'm not saying anything majorly controversial happened yesterday by any means. Like not nothing near to drawing the line on the wrong player. Um, but eventually something is going to happen again, and we're going to be sat here like losing our heads over it. Um, and as Curtis said, I'm just sick to death of the re- like. Why have we got to talk about the bloody referees? Every single like frigging podcast, almost swore. I should have sworn anyway. I want to be talking about. Yeah, I want to be talking about good individual performances, not bad ones out there. At once, I'd love to be like, "Oh, Lee Mason, he was bloody great today. How good was he? You know, he was so fair and unbiased and all this other stuff." But like, it's just like the thing is, Curtis. I I feel like to to have a good refereeing performance, you come away from the game not even noticing that the referee was there. That's how it should be officiated. Yeah, spot on. Um, Roberto De Zerbi's post-match comments um, were hilarious. I didn't come to England to be stuck in meetings. <laughs> Just, you know. Um, 
and he's been very open about what he said. And he said, sometimes I like to get a red card. Um, what a bad boy. He's the bad boy of coaching in the Premier League. Um, and I'm absolutely here for it. Um, but no, can let's... I just say as well, though, Mikel Arteta can do whatever the hell he likes. Jurgen Klopp can do whatever the hell they like. Pep Guardiola can do whatever he likes. I don't see any punishments going to them over what that their last couple of antics on the sidelines. Did you see Arteta yesterday? He was absolutely fuming. He was even mocking the referee on the sidelines. Did he get a red card? No, he bloody didn't. To be but fair, what does, what does this mean, that. by the way? Does that mean he's going to be out for the Stoke game or the West Ham? I believe. I think I've seen people is say. It, that is it, it the league is. game? Is that? I think. It is? Yeah, I've seen people say it's the West Ham game. Oh, okay, um, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, I I think yesterday was very much a case of the referee didn't want to be held accountable for his shoddy performance. Um, and that's not the first time we've said that, but let's uh, let's move on. I mean, we have to talk about um, the biggest robbery um, we've seen since that goal from them lot up the road. Um, as I said, it felt very similar to the Boogate game against Leeds. Wave after wave after wave of Brighton attack. Absolutely nothing to show for it um, in the second half. Um, and Fulham counter after a mix-up up top between the two substitutes, Undav and Buenanote. Um, and Solomon fires into the corner after a quick fire break. An absolute sucker punch. If you look up sucker punch in the dictionary, you'll see two things. You will see Fulham and you will see that lot up the road because for the second time in a week, the second time in when I have, you know eight days or whatever you want to call it, uh, the team that has barely turned up have somehow managed to come away, Curtis, with something. Frustration. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good word for it. Frustration. Um yeah, oh, God, it, it was just so. It just took all the wind out of me. It did. I was just like, oh, for God's sake! <laughs> but like, that's what you get when you make those sorts of mistakes, though. I and mean, we have to, we have to address that. Like, as much as you know that that was that happened and stuff. Like, we weren't good enough at that back at the back there. And you know, you, you can't make those mistakes with any team. Otherwise, things like that will happen. Um, yeah, it's just disheartening isn't it you know very much when so. i when i saw the breakaway because obviously i was in the stadium saw for the breakaway and i was like oh here we go and then the ball hit the back of the net and then the fulham fans went mental <clears throat> and like half of the stadium left literally when the ball hit the back of the net i can't say i blame them to be honest um, I, I would never, and this isn't me saying I'm a better fan because I stayed to the end. Um, I, I wouldn't do that, but it's like, oh, really? Why now? Like, I, I was thinking it might be another Bournemouth. We, we might nick something. Um, and I was saying to friends before the game, if we get a point from this game, I would be happy. I would be happy with a point. I would begrudgingly take the point. Um uh, it would be bittersweet because of how well we played and, and we should have won the game. But considering the context of the game and where Fulham were, um, yeah, as you say, Tom, sucker punch upon sucker punch. Um, and it just, yeah, that, that feeling doesn't shake. Seeing that net uh, ripple 
and Fulham run away with that was yeah crap tough it just was but that is what happens when you don't take your chances same against Palace we had ample opportunity to score we didn't well I do do want to yeah, go ahead, John. Go ahead. Okay. Go, go, go. Yes. I'm going to put a positive spin on this, guys. Somehow. We've got two games in hand. A three. Well, actually, by the time we get round to playing it, we'll have three games in hand because we still need to play Newcastle as well. Mm. Um, and it was nice of so... Liverpool the score down yesterday so we can stay in seventh exactly so the fate is, is still in our hands guys so we, we, we've still got to believe that things will change and we will start getting the points again and start scoring the goals again that's exactly what i was going to say Joe. literally you you read my mind i was going to say go. blips like this will happen we can't expect to just breeze through everyone you know and it it is very brighton to happen in a performance like that you know and again, these sorts of things will help us learn. And I think as much as it's horrible the way it happened, I feel like it's going to be very beneficial moving forward. It, it will be if, um, you know, Roberto De Zerbi goes in and does what he needs to do, get, picks the boys up and says, come on, we can't have another game like that. Let's let's work on our shooting boots. And as we've already alluded to, Stoke is the perfect opportunity to perhaps bring some confidence back into the side. Of course, Stoke are going to be no pushovers. The eight old adage of, oh, can you do it on a cold Wednesday evening in at Stoke? You know, it rings true. Um, so we'll see if Roberto De Zerbi's boys can do it on a cold The thing evening. is, I, I've That's got full game. faith. I've got full faith that Roberto De Zerbi will go in there and and get the boys galvanised again because we've seen it so many times where we have had disappointed results under De Zerbi. Cholton comes to mind and the mentality switch after Cholton was ridiculous. Um, we went out and, and, and completely demolished teams after that. Um, so I've got full faith that we, we'll see some change and, and we'll go on to have another really good patch. Yeah, let's certainly hope so. I mean, to play devil's advocate a little bit, a lot of the chats on uh, socials at the moment um, is saying that our European dream is in jeopardy by dropping points uh, to Fulham, who have now overtaken us. Liverpool seem to have found a bit of form and are only behind us on goal difference. And now some people, Kurt, is even criticising the lack of January business um, as we find ourselves somewhat goal shy over the last three games. I mean... Of course, we know that a loss often brings out, I'm not going to say the worst in people, but perhaps the more pessimistic side of people. Um, What would you say to people who are now saying, you know, the European dream is in jeopardy? Because this is, let's let's not beat around the bush, with Liverpool and Chelsea both stumbling, this is perhaps the best chance we're going to have in a long time to get European football. We need to take it. I mean, I understand the concerns. Obviously, I mean, you 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 want to be able to beat um, Fulham, for instance, who are also clearly fighting for Europe. I mean, they're, they're a fantastic team who who have pl- had some really good performances. Um, so that's why yesterday's performance hurts a lot more, I think, for a lot of different people. Because um, you know, if we if we beat uh, a team like Fulham in the position that they're in, um, then that's that's really, really good. You know, I remember saying it at the Palace game, like, oh, if we beat Palace, this is a good sort of like 
understanding of where the rest of the season's going. And then I was like, oh, that's what that was. But if we beat Fulham, you know, <laughs> uh, and we and we we couldn't. Um, but I'm I'm not concerned, honestly, uh, uh, about that. As I say, blip, bump in the road, those sorts of things, they're going to happen. But it's just how we carry ourselves from here and the performances that we put on from this point forward. I feel that really, really matters. And we've got to, as you say, put the shooting boots on and, you know, just go for it. Go for it. Most definitely. I mean, Joe, I mean, if we cast our minds back a year, okay, um, this time last year, Brighton were, they were either about to begin their worst run of games or they were in the midst of their worst run of a games. A year ago today, we lost 3-0 to Burnley. Okay, then, well, there you go. So we were in the midst of the dreadful run, the worst run of results that we had seen um, since 2007. And we still managed to claw our way into the top 10 um albeit we were 45 minutes away from finishing 13th um but it does go to show you how you know your position in the table isn't determined by individual games it's determined by runs of form so where what do you see as roberto de Zerbi's sort of main coaching points for the next run of games what is he going to be saying to the lads to galvanize them ready for what is going to be an inevitably important run and if we are serious about finishing in a European space. Well, yeah, he's come up before the Fulham game and he said how much he believes in his players and the level we've been playing at. Um, I I believe that he'll be saying, look, you know, we are a really good footballing side. We, we, we showed it yesterday. We showed it against Palace. Yes, the results didn't go our way, but this is Premier League football, people. And I, I, I sound really boring when I say that. And I'm really sorry that I do, but you have to have a reality check sometimes. And that's what we're getting at the moment. Um, and the people that are, are now, because of two disappointing results, saying that, that that's it, our European aspirations are completely over. That where what is what is that mentality? We've got how many games to go? What, 12, 13, um, or 14? I don't know how many it is. We're still in the FA Cup. We've got to play Stoke again and taking nothing away from Stoke, but we've got a really good chance to get further in that competition. And let's say we get a home tie in the quarterfinals and then we get to the semis. Anything can happen. You, you have to keep dreaming. Three weeks ago, we were on the top of the world. And just because of two poor results, everyone's feeling like that's it. Our dream's finished. Our dream's done. Why? Why is that mentality there? I just—it's it's fickle fans, isn't it? You know, like I like as you say, we we could we could we could absolutely demolish Stoke or, and West Ham hypothetically, right? And that we're suddenly—that's it. We're on we're on a European going on the European tour again. Yeah, yeah, come on, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Exactly. But but like but like I said, we could have we could draw one of those games, and the people are like I don't know questions have to be. It's just so just just it's pull, it's pull completely. Your head out. It is swings and roundabouts. Anything can happen. We've got we've we've got a decent part of the season to go, and if if the fans are already writing us off, then you you might as well stay at home, honestly, because that that mentality ain't, ain't going to shift at, at the Amex when we're trying to push for the best finish this football club's ever had. We had the best finish last season. It was amazing. The end of last season was absolutely phenomenal, and I loved it. Probably some of the best memories I've had following this football club. We can do that again. Why not? 
and under this coach, Roberto De Zerbi, who we've all absolutely adored so far, we just have to believe and and, and just keep supporting. And the, and the good times will come again, I've, I've no doubt. They will. Of course they will. We just have to... Um, <laughs> we just have to do a goal or two. Um, but no, let's talk about the FA Cup, then let's look ahead a bit to Stoke. Um just really quickly then, boys, because we're getting on to the hour. Curtis, just really quickly, how would you line up? Would you go strong, full team of players from the starting eleven, or would you rotate to maybe get the likes of Sami, Ento and Ciso, Buenanote, uh, some game time? Where where do you stand on how strong to go against Stoke? Um, how, how have they been doing this season? Have they had a, 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 do we know? No, any idea? Okay. Well, no. I, okay. I'm going to say I'd like to see some rotation, actually. I wouldn't mind seeing people like NC Su and Sarmiento and uh, Buonanate, who I thought looked pretty good in spats yesterday from what I saw of him. Um, uh, nearly scored a goal as well, <laughs> uh, but it was obviously offside. Uh, but, yeah, I would like to see some rotation. Uh, obviously, have keep, keep some experience out there uh, to keep those lads grounded, but... Definitely, I'd like to see some people that, that you know on the fringes uh, get some game time. Um, I would like to see some more Undav, but I feel like they're going to want to play more Ferguson uh, because he's had you know less game time recently. So, yeah, sort of a good mixture, I think. Decent, decent. Same question to you, Joe. Where do you stand on um, the starting eleven? Would you rotate? Yeah, and um, so just to answer your question, Curtis, very quickly, um, Stoke on nineteenth in the championship. So they're not having an amazing season by any stretch. Um, and they okay. lost yesterday 1-0 to Blackpool. Um, and I know a Blackpool okay. fan, so I'm sure he'll be very happy with that. Um, <clears throat> I would start with a really strong core and I would play some of the the, the young guys around that core. Um, I would like to see probably eight starters with three um, you know, and obviously Jason still. I think he's at his his place to start in the cup. Absolutely. Um, I even actually wouldn't have been that disappointed if Jason still started in the league. To be honest, I think he's he's really impressed me when when he has played. Um, to be honest, and I know we've not seen much of him. Um, and I stand by Sanchez fully. I'm not saying it's Sanchez's fault. Um, but I I really like Jason still. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to see some some of the youth and 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 the good bulk of our uh, Premier League starting lineup. Yeah, I mean for what it's worth, I'd probably I'd rotate quite a bit. I say quite a bit. I'd go with Steele at the back, then Veltman at right back, Webster and Van Heck in the middle, maybe Lamptey at left back because we saw Purvis hobble off uh, yesterday which I think is was just precautionary, but just for the sake of being precautionary, I wouldn't I'd be tempted to maybe give him 45 minutes perhaps. Um, because I think it's in 10 days time so we've got plenty of time um, but I don't want to risk purpose because if he uh, if he does pick up a career career a season ending injury um, we could be in real trouble I'd start Matoma I think he's looked a bit uh, undercooked shall we say last three games so maybe getting him up against some championship defenders might help bring that confidence back but I'd definitely start Sarmiento I'd probably start Buenanote um, if he's fit, maybe Billy Gilmore and even the new boy, Yassin um, Yarari. Y- I, I can't pronounce his name. Um, the new Swedish lad. I'd be quite tempted to start him, perhaps, or at least give him some game time in the second half. Um, but it just we've seen Deserby go quite strong in the cup. So I would not be surprised in the slightest 
to see a very strong lineup. Um, as you say, Curtis, perhaps even led by uh, Ferguson to get him some game time back into the legs um, after being injured a few games ago. Um, let's have score predictions before we sign off then, gents. Joe, score prediction against Stoke, please. Hopefully a nice, uh, comfortable 3-0 win for Brighton. Well, that would be very nice. Curtis, score prediction, please. To echo Joe from a couple of weeks ago, 5-0. No, no. Um... All right, let's not bring that back. <laughs> Come on now. Um, I think... Um, I, I'd like to think... I don't know, like 4-0, something like that. I'd, that would be really nice. Um, yeah, some of the fringe players to get some goals, I think, would be really, really good. And McAllister. I'd like McAllister to score something because I feel like he needs it. So, yeah. Yeah, I think this is a good opportunity for a good confidence boost for the likes of, as I said, Matoma, um, McAllister perhaps as well. Um, so I think as long as we score a couple, I think, um, you know, that will hopefully give us some galvanization, taking us into West Ham, where we can hopefully continue our very fine record against them. But it will be in 10 days the next time uh, Brighton and Hell Albion take I'd to the I'd just say it's, it's really nice actually to have a break from football um it's been it's been doing me in recently so it's nice to have that sort of nine ten day stretch that we're not going to play a game we can relax a bit which also means viewers you won't be able to see our lovely faces for a good 11 days or so and listeners you won't be able to hear our dulcet tones but you will but you will see nacho friends tricky goals in league one he's back road road to fifa is coming Back, guys so if you if you enjoyed curtis's um little fifa uh video bit side series it's coming back next week uh we'll get it uploaded and keep yeah. you updated on and it's gonna be it's gonna be a constant thing um i i lapsed on it a bit because i'm um what's the word uh lazy uh so but we're gonna continue it and i've got loads of really funny stuff planned for it so watch this space amazing and if all else fails, you've got an entire back catalogue of Albion Obsessed videos to watch and listen to. We're so almost you... at our 100th episode, guys. We're getting there. And you know what you can do also? Yeah. You can go back and watch the documentary that these two made on, on the Brighton shirts. It's so good. Look, all those, yeah. It's a really bloody great, and they put so much effort into it. Go and watch it. And follow us on Instagram, on TikTok. We've just literally reached 100 followers on TikTok, so thank you very, very much. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm going to be making a, a, some really cool content over there, so join us in all the good spaces. Join us on the TikTok to keep it real, kids, um, because I'm a 33-year-old who doesn't understand these sorts of things. And on that bombshell, <laughs> don't forget to like share and subscribe for more content if you haven't done so already and wherever you may be whenever you may be keep it real we'll see you next time take care